two very unlikely things happened this past week. A man by the name of Greg Nigel of Columbia, Ohio, broke the record of perfectly predicting the outcome of the first 48 March Madness basketball games in the NCAA tournament. The odds of that happening are 1 in 281 trillion. He got to 49 wins before his first loss. Then on Thursday, it was reported someone in Wisconsin had the winning lottery ticket worth over $768 million, the third largest in U.S. history. According to Lottery USA, the chances of winning the mega million jackpot are 1 in 302 million. And the odds of winning both the jackpot and the Powerball is 1 in 88 quadrillion. That's the number 88 followed by 15 zeros. You would get tired just writing that. By comparison, you have a 1 in 10,000 chance of getting injured in your bathroom, which is 30,000 times more likely to happen compared to winning the mega million jackpot. Or a 1 in 1.1.5 million chance of being struck by lightning, which is 250 times more likely to happen compared with winning the jackpot. Your chances of being attacked by a shark is 1 in 3.7 million, 80 times more likely to happen compared to winning the lottery. All of these statistics are given by the U.S. Lottery Association. You would think, you would think that alone would end participation in the lottery, but no, I've got a chance. It's like that, that stupid line in Dumb and Dumber, which is not a movie worth renting, but he, this, this guy that's way out of his league finds a beautiful woman who has millions of dollars and wants to date her, and she has, she says, you've got one in a billion chance of going out with me. And he says, so you're saying I've got a chance. <laughs> oh, boy. When a rich ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to gain life in the age to come? That is, in order to enter the kingdom of God... He did so thinking that the odds were in his favor. Jesus helped him realize that given the basis or the reason for which he expected to qualify, his actual chances were practically nil. If he used all his wealth to buy lottery tickets, he would stand a better chance of winning the lottery than entering the kingdom of God. No wonder the disciples said, then who has a chance? Jesus countered his question with one of his own. On the basis, on what basis are you relying in order to enter God's kingdom? Now, that's not found in your text. If you're reading that, you go, where did he get that question? It's not in here. The man thought he could count on his record of keeping the commandments. And so Jesus decides to add one more requirement, one more 
level of commitment that would reveal his heart, suggesting the man give up his possessions, more than give them up, that he would, he would serve the poor with them. And we're told the man was saddened by what Jesus said because Luke says he was a man of great means. In other words, he was a U.S. citizen. Compared to the world's economy, we are this man. In the passage preceding this, when Jesus blessed children after his disciples thought, take those children away, you're bothering our master. But instead, he blessed them and he said, to such as these belongs the kingdom. So what makes children suitable candidates for the kingdom of God compared with people of wealth? Why is it hard for one and seems to be made for the other? Well, we might think it has something to do with the fact that children, especially if they're really small, you guys, I'm sorry, you're too old to be considered children, okay, in this category. I mean, you are your, your mom and dad's child, I get that, but um, <laughs> you're not buying that? Okay. <laughs> Should have stuck with the text, just read what's here, don't, don't interact. <laughs> Perhaps it's because children are characterized by openness, sincerity, and trust compared with adults who tend to be self-reliant, independent. We could add stubborn, a lot of other adjectives, proud. As if characteristics of a child grant them a greater disposition towards God, whereas characteristics of an adult form a more, more hindrances in terms of being, having, gaining access to God. Unfortunately, the hindrances are ones we create ourselves. Although our disposition and character traits do play a role, this passage suggests there's more to it than that. In Luke's gospel, the term eternal life is equivalent to life in the age to come. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, it's something that all people of Israel believed God would bring about, that God's, God would come as Savior of the world and establish His rule and the blessings of His rule for those who believed in him. And that that would be called, that was called the age to come and it would break into this age suddenly and dramatically and bring an end to what has been and the start of something new. When Jesus proclaims the kingdom, he in effect is announcing it is being inaugurated in his own person. And so the equivalent of entering God's kingdom is also to become a follower of Jesus, someone who believes in Jesus. The rich ruler was seeking confirmation that he qualified to belong to God's kingdom, that he was indeed accepted and approved by God in every sense of the word. So Jesus asked the man to assess his life against the law. And Jesus quotes five of the Ten Commandments. And in doing so, he bypassed the first four, which have to do with our relationship with God, and, and went straight to the ones, five of the six remaining ones, that 
describe proper behavior toward our fellow human beings. You know the commandments, Jesus says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. With confidence like a student who has studied for the exam and knows all the answers, the man replies, these I have kept since I was young, since I was a child. In comparison to everyone else, the man was saying, I'm good. I'm good. This despite the fact that he had been challenged in his greeting of Jesus, calling him good teacher. Whether he meant it as flattery or respect, Jesus corrected him with the words, Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. That should have been a clue that, that his assessment might have been off. Yet in response to Jesus' question about keeping the commandments, this man considered himself certainly good enough to gain God's attention and approval. Knowing the man's wealth occupied central place in his life, Jesus invites him to do one more thing to give up his vested interests in earthly security and to give it to the poor, those who most need it. You'll notice the commandment Jesus did not quote was, do not covet. The rich man may not have coveted what others possess since he had so much of his own, but he did not want the poor to have what he did. More importantly, by putting his wealth ahead of his relationship with God, he violated the first covenant or the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. His wealth held first place in his heart. He was more concerned about holding on to what he already had than with obtaining entry into God's kingdom or following Jesus. He came to Jesus thinking that Jesus would be impressed by him, and he left somewhat downcast and disappointed from the encounter. Listen how Eugene Peterson translates the next exchange in his paraphrase, the message between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? I'd say it's easier to thread a camel through a needle's eye than get a rich person into God's kingdom. Jesus makes a comparison that is comical in its exaggeration. Picture the largest animal in Palestine with its long legs and its large hump on its back trying to go through the smallest opening of an object that you could pinch between your two fingers. Not going to happen. No way. Not possible. That's the conclusion all of us would draw. So startled by his comment, the disciples reply back, then who has any chance at all? You have no chance at all, Jesus said, if you think you can pull it off by yourself. 
But every chance in the world, if you trust God to do it, Peterson captures the essence of the gospel in that one sentence. Salvation is not something we humans can achieve, no matter how hard we try or how good an impression we try to make. But what is not possible for us is possible with God. Our salvation relies on God's mercy and grace, which is given to all who know they have need of it. So you see, it's not just about character and disposition. It's about an awareness, self-awareness, self-knowledge that brings us to our knees. Humility is the starting point of what it means to be Christian. I'd climbed up a tree with a harness and a rope attached. It was part of a training course. When I reached the wooden platform some 40 feet above the ground, it was a small platform just big enough for two feet. The person on the ground told me to jump and catch a metal bar that was, I guess, about eight feet from me. It might as well have been 20 feet. Um, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Who comes up with this stuff? Now, I had seen others do it, a lot of people smaller, younger than myself. And I knew that I was attached to a rope so that even if I missed the bar, I was anchored by someone below who would just lower me down slowly and safely to the ground. Nevertheless, I stood there on the platform, thinking it over, hesitating. Someone later told me my time of how long it took. What they were asking required me to trust someone else with my safety. And trust is never easy when you put your life into someone else's hands. But that's precisely what Jesus asked the rich ruler to do. And he, what he asks of all of us. Trust me with everything you've got. Everything you have and everything you are. That's what I ask. That's what it means to enter God's kingdom. To believe in me. The more we have to lose, the greater the risk. It was hard for the rich ruler to believe he could let go of his possessions in order to gain even more than what he already had. And even if we do not consider ourselves as wealthy as this man, we are rich by the world's economic standards. And even if money doesn't keep us from an all-out commitment to God, there's bound to be something else Jesus invites us to let go of or to give up in order to follow him, in order to trust God's goodness instead of our own. So what are the chances we'll make it into the kingdom of God? 
without God, we might as well keep trying to win the lottery. But with God, we cannot lose. Amen.